IBC Talk, the Insurance Business Canada podcast. This episode is presented in partnership with CNA. Errors and omissions coverage is a key part of professional liability. In this episode, we sit down to discuss areas of coverage, common claims, and the impact of COVID-19 on ENO. We're joined by Jacqueline Dedeblon, Vice President of Specialty, and Yelena Setkovich, Specialty Claims Manager with CNA. Hello, welcome to IBC Talk, the Insurance Business Canada podcast. I'm Bethan Moorcraft, Senior Editor at Insurance Business, and in this episode, I'm very lucky to be joined by two of CNA's specialty insurance experts. We have Jackie DeTablin, Vice President of Specialty, and Yelena Svetkovic, Specialty Claims Manager. Together, we're going to be taking a deep dive into errors and emissions insurance, tackling everything from what e policies are intended to cover through to common claims and how the COVID-19 pandemic has impacted the risk landscape. So without further ado, Jackie, Yelena, welcome to IBC Talk. Hi, thank you for having us. Yes, thank you for having us, Bethann. Thanks. It's great to have you on. Um, so we've got lots to get through today. So let's start with the basics, if you don't mind. Uh, Jackie, I'll come to you first. What is errors and emissions insurance intended to cover? So ENO or errors and omissions coverage protects against claims containing certain allegations of negligence or wrongful acts, and it's required predominantly for those businesses providing professional advice or professional services to their customers. Um, errors and omissions insurance often covers both defense costs and settlements related to these specific matters, and generally um, they're tied to a maximum limit of liability under the policy. Jackie's right. So essentially, when services are being provided, that lo- that can result in a financial loss, which isn't contemplated in a traditional liability policy. So for example, this wouldn't cover something like bodily injury or property damage. And if it's not directly linked to that bodily injury and property damage that we would see in a traditional liability policy, but yet does result in a financial loss, that's really what this errors and emissions coverage was intended to cover. Okay, thank you. So Yelena, what are the most common E&O claims that, that you tend to see? So really, in concerning lines of business, we see most E&O claims from lawyers liability, insurance broker liability, financial advisor liability, and then various medical practitioner liability. With respect to the kind of allegations that we see in those claims, oftentimes they are misrepresentation, breach of duty, which is fiduciary duty or otherwise a breach of contract, or negligence, for example. E&O insurance applies to the following categories of claims, which I've just mentioned, but I'm going to go in a little bit more detail here just so you get an idea of what these allegations may um, constitute of. So, for example, negligence, that refers to substandard levels of care and att- or attention to product or services delivered to those clients or customers that you're servicing. Errors could be anything such as a clerical error or a mistake in filing orders. Omissions is commonly failure to disclose any relevant information, whatever that may be. And misrepresentation refers to inaccuracies presented by the professional or business in the scope, level, or capability of a product or service. 
or we can see allegations of any and all of the above. And that's the importance of covering of covering defense costs, because any of these may trigger whether they are substantiated or not, which we see a lot of in claims. For example, our insureds will say, well, that's not substantiated and that's fine. But if the allegation is there, we do need to look at coverage under the policy for those allegations and what may come of them. And we do need to defend it accordingly. I think it's also important to add in um, on this point that we're seeing more claims related to technology related services, you know, given the movement of society to more digitization, um, we do rely on more and more third parties um, to provide us with technology services. And it's one area of ENO that we're seeing more claims in. Mm-hmm. I think one thing that's interesting in ENO is that these allegations and these claims uh, can feel very personal. It can become personal very quickly, especially when someone's professional represent, uh, reputation is at stake. You know, how can these dynamics impact claims outcomes? Yes, often when dealing with professionals, um, there may be situations where the complaint um, or the litigation is brought by someone that the professional had a long-standing relationship with. Um, for example, a lawyer might have had a client for, for decades and then there's there's an issue or a disagreement um, or, or a mistake. Um, and, and it often re- can result in um, hurt feelings um, because, you know, it's their livelihood and, and sort of their profession that they've dedicated their life to. So it does become quite personal. And with respect to the claims handling of these personal claims, because you're absolutely right, Bethann, we certainly need to be sensitive to the fact that often the insured wants to keep this relationship with the claimant or the plaintiff that has brought a complaint or action against them. And they want us, the insurer, to settle early or to make concessions that we may not necessarily make due to the policy contract or that language to potentially save that relationship that they have with the claimant or plaintiff, or that they're worried that they're going to lose. Other times when feelings are hurt and the insured won't want to settle on principle because they feel like they haven't made any errors, maybe again, tying it back to what I was saying with common ENO claims that oftentimes these allegations may not be substantiated and our insured won't feel like they made errors. And then as a result, they're upset that there's a complaint against them by someone who they feel they did right and someone they considered a friend. And oftentimes we see this in the employment practices liability or EPL space. And I'd argue sometimes even more, it's even more common there because you're employing somebody, the allegations are a little different there. They, they deal with more EPL and that also becomes really personal. In many industries, uh, reputation, um, it's key because it's how these these professionals um, have their sort of derive their their livelihood Um, and protecting this reputation is key. I mean, it's even more important today when you look at the role, the growing role of social media. Yeah, Jackie's right, because things are out there that we wouldn't have expected to see out there 10, 15, 20 years ago. But ultimately, these claims have to be adjusted and defended in accordance to those policy terms. So we can't, you know, run off contract just because our insureds want us to handle something a certain way due to these personal um, nuances, for example. 
It, it sounds challenging. I, I think one of the difficulties perhaps with ENO is that the scope of the risk um, is quite significant. As underwriters, as, as, a, as an insurer, how often do you come up against unexpected ENO claims and, and how difficult is it to underwrite for the unexpected and resolve the unexpected? Well, good question. Every so often we do come across a professional liability risk that we maybe didn't think we'd see. And whether that's because of the scope of coverage that was negotiated at the time of binding that policy, and this this happens, or the language of the policy itself and what it was intended to mean and maybe how it's, it was interpreted to mean um, by, by other parties. So in my career, which is now going on, I guess, 14 years, we have certainly seen instances where we have covered what has traditionally been seen, for example, as manufacturer's E&O risk. So if you look at manufacturer's E&O, it's much different than, for example, a miscellaneous E&O. And we would be covering that manufacturer's risk under a miscellaneous E&O policy simply because maybe the language was too similar. And this unexpected E&O coverage then resulted in a much more complex claim with more moving parts, with more parties, and ultimately, honestly, a higher payout. And I've also seen instances in my career, again, examples where we've covered a professional liability risk under a different policy that maybe wasn't professional liability just because some of the language wasn't strong enough or wasn't absolute enough to maybe exclude those allegations in their entirety or maybe not, it wasn't just what was intended to be covered. So this resulted in further defense costs for professional liability allegations under policies that we, for example, maybe didn't think or, or maybe would expect to cover. Yeah, and from the under, underwriting side, there's a huge challenge with underwriting the unknown. So underwriters can try their best to stay abreast of issues by and asking questions and digging into responses um, provided through the application process and getting to know their clients. Um, staying abreast of industry trends and developments in their clients' area, it is quite a challenge, though, especially when you look at portfolios made up of a number of different types of operations, but really just just communicating and being inquisitive is really the best way um, for um, insurers to stay above this. And this also speaks to the importance of specialization and why it's important to have underwriting expertise in specific areas um, to sort of see trends as they're coming or things that could come up that could potentially be unexpected. Yeah, I, I guess maybe one potential unknown or unexpected that we've had to deal with in the past year was is the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, you know, we're talking today in the middle of a, a third wave of COVID uh, in Canada. And over the past year, you know, the workplace and workplace expectations have changed exponentially. Um, how has the COVID-19 pandemic impacted, you know, risk? You know, have you seen any trends or, or claims trends even resulted to uh, the coronavirus? Yeah, that's a really interesting question and one that I think was a, a trend that we would have expected to see. So the area which where we have seen the most activity with respect to the COVID-19 COVID pandemic is in the insurance broker E&O space and also the financial advisor space. So on the insurance broker side, 
We have seen allegations of failure to properly advise on the coverage that they have purchased or the coverage that they needed to purchase, or for example, the coverage that was already in place and what it covered. The issue is the basic duty of care for an agent or broker with respect to obtaining coverage or advising on coverage is to obtain that the coverage has been specifically requested within a reasonable time period or advise the client that they're unable to do so, which happens and it's fair, but they have to be advised. So because the pandemic kind of, it seems like we've been living it for the past, you know, year and a half, and it's true, but it, it was kind of unexpected at the time it came up. This came way, this gave way, sorry, for claims based on just this. For example, brokers that maybe didn't have the right coverage in place, either they didn't, they didn't, offer it or they didn't advise the client that they were unable to offer it. And also there may be a rise in ENO claims for insurance agents and brokers for failing to obtain sufficient business interruption or business income coverage, which usually includes the loss of income, but excludes ordinary operating expenses. And this has been huge because so many companies, so many businesses, as we know, have been forced to close down because of the COVID-19 pandemic. And a lot of these businesses didn't have business interruption coverage in place to um, to for for whatever kind of of loss they may see that would maybe cover their loss of income. And a lot of these brokers that were placing this coverage and didn't have the BI coverage or business interruption coverage are seeing themselves a bit in a bit of a sticky situation. Also, in the financial advisor E&O space, we saw a lot of activity early on when the stock market took a turn for the worse. So if you remember, in early 2020, we did see the stock markets kind of tumble. But you know what? That's not uncommon. We often see this fallout shortly after because people will go on their online banking or look at their statements and notice that their investments just aren't performing the way they once were. And as a result, they'll make complaints in that regard, often in the form of negligence or improper investment advice or misrepresentation. But the good thing about this is, as the stock market kind of leveled off, we did see the majority of these cases and these claims taper off as that market corrected itself. I think it's also um, important to add to Yelena's comments that oftentimes E&O claims take a while to bubble up. So I don't, I'm not certain we've seen the full effect um, that COVID will have on claims trends and, and losses in the industry. So I think there's more to come on this. Okay, that's interesting. Um, so sticking to claims trends, if you don't mind, uh, in recent years, I think it's fair to say that E&O claims costs have increased. I wonder if you could tell me why that's the case and sort of what's driving these changes. Well, there's a few things um, driving these changes. Um, the first um, is is legal costs. Um, you know, lawyers, uh, their, their costs are going up. We're also seeing plaintiffs being more litigious, meaning that they're more willing to um, to move forward with matters versus and less willing to settle, which is, you know, is a way to manage expenses. Um, we're also seeing the initial demands amounts increasing and the complexity of claims is also um, elevating. Um, you know, that concept that we were talking about of unexpected claims, um, you know, that that just adds a complexity to um, to these matters and, and can add to the cost. And it's also different if you if you don't know, expect a certain type of claim, it's perhaps 
not contemplated in the pricing in terms of con- and conditions of your policy. So you might be sort of defending matters or dealing dealing with allegations that you hadn't actually um, you hadn't been prepared to. Yelena, do you have any examples of this? Well, you're absolutely right. And where we would have seen maybe a simpler E&O claim 10 years ago, we're certainly seeing rising legal costs, like you said, where we would maybe be expecting to defend a matter for ten dollars or $15,000 10 years ago. We're now seeing matters be defended for fifty dollars or $60,000. And you're absolutely right that plaintiffs are more litigious. Oftentimes, this is kind of a U.S. trend, but we're even seeing this in Canada now. People are more willing to extend their litigation, to keep it going, to see where they could potentially find the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, let's call it, and are less willing to maybe settle even if the the allegations are maybe not as strong as they thought they were or if the facts just aren't in their favor. And alongside that, people are sometimes, and especially plaintiffs, are giving us some astronomical demands that we didn't see 10 years ago or 15 years ago or 20 years ago. A demand that maybe would have been like, oh, well, I did this work for you and you didn't, you know, you didn't complete it or sorry, I, I was I was expecting this work from you and you didn't complete it. And that work was, for example, going to cost $50,000. Now it's kind of like you didn't do the work for me and I expected you to. So maybe while it was $50,000, my business has also been impacted for an additional $50,000. And I wasn't able to have people working for an additional $50,000. So you kind of see how it could be potentially small, but then are getting kind of blown up in, um, in the face of the new and changing landscape. Hmm. So uh, as these claims inflate um essentially what impact is this having on the wider you know insurance market perhaps in terms of premiums and sort of coverage terms and conditions is it sort of driving any change it's definitely driving change um we're seeing uh changes overall in the insurance market with respect to risk appetite so many many markets are tweaking sort of the types of risks that they are comfortable with on the risk selection side In addition, we're seeing a reduction in capacity capacity, um, that certain markets are willing to put up on certain classes or specific accounts. For example, it used to be very commonplace to put up $15 million or $10 million on particular risks, and we're seeing a lot of reductions. Perhaps that same market is only willing to put up $5 million, uh, which causes a disruption if there's excess um, and the brokers needing to find more capacity on risks. This is especially true um, today in the areas of lawyers, insurance brokers, which we talked about, as well as technology, you know. Uh, We're also seeing additional exclusionary language or language um, to clarify intent of coverage. Again, to those those matters that we talked about earlier, those unexpected matters, the more um, policies are being sort of tested and pushed, um, we're seeing clarity there. Um, And on certain classes, we're even seeing exclusionary language related to COVID-related claims. We're seeing that more and more on the insurance broker side um, because we talked about those obvious um, events um, that could have happened. Um, Retentions, we're also seeing an increase there. There's a feel um, that perhaps insureds should have more skin in the game as the severity of these types of claims increase. Mm -hmm. 
Okay. Jackie, you mentioned tech e earlier in this discussion and, and also just now as a sort of perhaps one of the more challenging um, classes of business, uh, certainly a hot product uh, today in the e market. Can you just sort of go into that in a bit more detail in terms of what tech e is intended to cover and, you know, why it's an important coverage for uh, certain providers? Sure. So TechEno covers everything that we discussed at the beginning of this podcast uh, with respect to coverage. But in addition, um, so tech companies provide software, provide software, for example, and if that software fails or causes financial damage to a client, they can be held liable. So software failure is probably um, the most common type of claim that we've, we've seen with tech companies. And it can be, be filed by corporations and consumers, depending on the end user of that. So take, for existence a billing software company that provides their software to a client. That billing software malfunctions and doesn't calculate overtime pay for hundreds of employees, resulting in underpayment. The client then has to incur costs to fix the problem. Um, get updated payments to their employees. Um, perhaps there could be some regulatory implications for them for not meeting sort of statutory requirements with respect to um, paying their employees and managing that. Um, the client then sues the software company for their failure, and that's the, the resulting financial loss um, that our, our tech E&O client uh, would be responsible for. And if you look at technology in general, the examples of this are endless. We use, you know, there's software for so many functions in our lives, and there's so many ways for it to go wrong. Jackie's absolutely right. And tech companies also often combine this type of E&O insurance that's been described by Jackie and that we've talked about almost this whole entire podcast, with uh, also a cyber liability insurance to just provide additional coverage and provide additional protection because oftentimes we will see overlap between tech E&O and uh, cyber liability. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's just so important today as well, especially in the context of of COVID-19 and our lives have just become increasingly digital. So I'm I'm sure that um, tech E&O will uh, continue to be a hot product for some time. Um, Well, Jackie, Yelena, thank you very much. I think that's a a good place to end our discussion today. So thank you both very much for for sharing your insights. Thank Thank you you for having us. Thank you. And finally, thank you to our listeners as well for tuning in. Um, I'm Bethan Moorcraft, Senior Editor at Insurance Business. Uh, Please keep an eye out for our upcoming podcasts, webinars, and IBTV episodes. And everyone stay safe and healthy in the meantime. Thanks again. Thank you for listening to this episode of IBC Talk. For more from the experts at CNA, visit them at cna.com. That's cna.com for more. For the latest episodes, be sure to follow us on SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Apple Podcasts.